This episode of Investing Compass is brought to you by Milford. Milford's talented and globally experienced investment team aim to deliver strong, long-term returns while managing downside risks. They also invest in the same funds as their clients. Learn more and see the Milford Fund product disclosure statements and target market determinations at milfordasset.com.au. Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. So Shani, we are going to do another share deep dive today, and this one is listener requested. So it's from Steve, and he requested that we do an episode on Charter Hall Long Whale REIT with the ticker symbol CLW. So Why don't we start with some basics? What does whale stand for? Well, whale stands for weighted average lease expiry, and that means the average lease expiry period. So in the case of long whale, we're looking at lease expirations far out into the future. And talking about leases, of course, makes sense because we're talking about a REIT or real estate investment trust, which is a company that owns property. Now, at the risk of having 90% of people stop listening to this episode, we have a bit of a disclaimer. REITs do not pay franking credits. And the reason they don't pay franking credits is because they aren't technically companies. They are actually trusts, real estate investment trusts, which means that earnings aren't taxed at the REIT level. And because of that, they can't pass along credit for taxes paid. And technically, they don't pay dividends. They pay distributions, which legally must be 90% of the profits. So now that we've driven off the franking credits crowd, let's talk a little bit about the REIT. They, of course, own property because they are a REIT, but there are all sorts of different types of property with different profiles that REITs can own. In this case, they are a diversified REIT, meaning they own property across the office, industrial, retail, social infrastructure, and agricultural logistics space. And they have a $7 billion portfolio that consists of 550 properties. And one of the keys to investing in REITs is understanding the quality of their property portfolio, because unlike people, not every property is created equal. In this case, our analyst has some really good things to say about their property portfolio. He deems it high quality for a couple of reasons, which largely have to do with their tenants. Liquor and pub operator Endeavor Group is the largest tenant and represents 18% of their income. But our analysts say that four-fifths of their income comes from tenants that he believes are unlikely to ever miss a rent payment, and that includes Endeavor Group, government agencies, Telstra, BP, Ingham's, Coles, Metcash, Arnott's, Bunnings, Westpac, and Linfox. Quite a list of names there. So we know they have a good property portfolio with solid tenants, but we need to look at the types of leases they have with these tenants. Talked a minute ago about why whale is in the name. Well, the weighted average lease length as of the 31st of December 2022 was 11.8 years. When you have tenants unlikely to miss a rent payment and a very long lease, you have predictable earnings, which of course we like as investors. But another component of a lease is not just the length, but also the other terms. More than half of the leases are triple net. That means that the tenant pays all the costs associated with the property. That includes taxes, maintenance, and insurance, a pretty good deal for the property owner. The other thing that is important is how rent increases over the course of these long leases. Half the 
leases are CPI linked, which is a good thing to protect investors from inflation. Inflation is incidentally something we're all worried about. We expect a 7.2% average increase in rents for these properties in 2023. The other half of our leases that just have fixed increases in rent over the course of the lease. So all of this seems pretty good, but we need to explore if we believe there's a sustainable competitive advantage or moat. And remember, a sustainable competitive advantage means that there's some barrier to competitors just copying their business model and stealing customers or driving down margin on the profit they make by undercutting them on pricing. Now, surely with this huge portfolio of property with quality tenants, there must be a moat. Is that true, Shani? No, it's not. We don't believe there is a moat. And it's worth taking a step back here before we go into all the reasons that we don't think there is a moat. Mark and I went to a conference the other week. The Australian Shareholders Association Conference. Well, a couple came up to the booth after Mark's presentation and was asking about moats and said that they understood how an analyst who has a full-time job could identify a moat, but they couldn't see how they could do it. So maybe it would help to go through your answer to them and then we can discuss CLW. Well, what I said to them and will say to any listeners out there is that anyone can do this. It does take some work. It does take some study but anyone can do it. And Warren Buffett famously said, to be a good investor, you need to be a student of business. So I asked this couple what business they were in, and it turns out they were chicken farmers. So I said, let's look at the business you know well and figure out what would constitute a moat. And first I asked about barriers to entry, because this is a sign there could be a moat. I asked what it took for somebody to become a chicken farmer. He said that you had to learn about chicken farming and you needed land and some equipment but that basically anyone could do it, and other farmers could add chicken farming operations to their property pretty easily. So if everyone decided they wanted to only eat chicken or eat more chicken, and prices went up significantly more, people would enter the chicken farming business. Temporarily, these high prices would benefit the existing chicken farmers, but this would not be sustainable because they are not significant barriers of entry to chicken farming. Exactly, Shani. And then I asked him about pricing power. What could he do to set chicken prices or have his chicken purchase at a higher price than competitors? He said that chicken was a commodity, and the price that he could sell his chicken at was out of his control. He was a price taker, which all commodity producers are. The only way to set pricing if you are a commodity producer is to either have a monopoly and control all the production or form a cartel and actively collude with other producers to manipulate pricing. So neither of those two conditions apply to chicken farming. They do not. The last high-level area you could have with chicken farming or any business is a cost advantage. You can't control pricing and there are limited barriers of entry. You could put yourself in a good position as a business. You can produce the same chicken as everyone else, but for cheaper. You would then make more money by having a higher margin. Well, the only way to do that in chicken farming is to have immense scale. But according to the conference attendee, that is very hard to achieve. But we aren't here to talk about chicken farming. We are here to talk about moats in real estate. So as Mark just demonstrated when he was talking about chicken farming, the first step to identifying a moat is to really understand the dynamics of the industry and which moat source may be prevalent. Once you've done that, you can look for evidence of a moat. So we're talking about a company that owns real estate here, and we need to consider barriers to entry and pricing power and cost in our high-level assessment. Well, there are very low barriers of entry for most real estate-related companies. It is ultimately a really fragmented industry with all sorts of owners of commercial real estate, from private investors like super funds and insurance companies to wealthy individuals. 
And this is certainly the case for CLW. Want to give your portfolio an offensive and defensive strategy? Check out the award-winning Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund. Utilizing the skills of Milford's experienced investment team, the Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund has been focusing on delivering a smoother journey for investors for over half a decade. With an emphasis on managing risk and generating absolute returns, this lower volatility equity fund can play a key role in a diversified portfolio. The fund strives for long-term capital growth while mitigating the ups and downs typically experienced when investing in share markets. Find the Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund, ticker symbol MFOA, on your trading platforms or at milfordasset.com.au. And before you invest, be sure to read the fund's product disclosure statement and target market determination, also found at milfordasset.com.au. If we look at the retail, office and industrial property markets, ownership is extremely fragmented, which demonstrates how low the barriers to entry are. And particularly in office and retail, there are some real structural headwinds in those spaces as more people work from home and office tenants look to shrink their footprint and in retail, where COVID has moved a lot more shopping online. The other areas that CLW plays is the convenience space. And this is an area where Charter Hall and their associated entities like CLW are fairly dominant. But in saying that, they control less than 10% of the market. And this is one space where supply keeps coming onto the market. Almost every new apartment building or transportation project has retail space associated with it, meaning there is a constant influx of new supply. So with low barriers to entry and a lack of unique assets, there is ample opportunity for competition. The more choices a tenant has, the more power they have over the rent they pay. This is why we don't believe there is a moat. Moats in real estate typically occur if a company has a really unique set of assets that can't be replicated by anyone else. We don't believe that CLW has those unique assets. In the case of extremely unique assets, you would see the initial investment on these assets continue to compound as rents increase and the value of the assets increases. But since CLW doesn't have a moat, they need to grow in other ways. And that gets us to our next consideration for real estate. There is one other aspect of real estate that is important to consider when looking at REITs. You hear a lot about investors searching for capital-like businesses that are scalable. Let's quickly go through these two concepts. When an investor says capital light or asset light, it means that the preference is for a company that doesn't need a lot of physical assets or constant investment in the business to support continued growth in revenue and earnings. That is scalability. We like that as investors because we don't want the companies we own to have to keep investing in the business. We want that cash to instead go to us as shareholders. That is why investors gravitate to companies that succeed based on intellectual capital a software company that creates a product that can be sold again and again, and which is based on code that was created once, a pharmaceutical company that creates a treatment that can be sold to more and more people. That is scalability that doesn't require a lot of investment for each new sale that is made. And real estate is not that. You own a building that can only have a certain amount of tenants. And while rent can grow over time, if you really want to grow, you need to build or buy another building. So you may have good tenants, good lease terms, but ultimately you need to invest for growth. And this is what Charter Hall Whale has done. In 2019, they made around $386 million in acquisitions, $850 million in 2020, and $626 million in 2021. And they've done that by borrowing money and issuing new shares. 
They've issued a significant amount of new shares every year since 2016, and the share count has grown from 208 million shares to 720 million by March of 2022. And those share issuances dilute existing shareholders. If there are more shareholders, you own less of the company. Now, that can benefit you as an investor if you own less of the overall pie, but that pie has significantly grown. And they also issued a fair amount of debt. If we look at net debt to assets, CLW weighs in at 37%, which our analysts acknowledge is high. Now, while this is high, CLW does have a relatively predictable earnings stream into the future because of these long lease terms. But the problem with using debt and equity to fund growth is that it is very much based on economic conditions to continue to do that. You need investors to want to buy new shares, and issuing debt is based on the expense of that debt, interest rates, and the market's willingness to keep buying those bonds. And in the current environment, our analysts believe that funding growth through acquisitions is likely to drop significantly. And we believe that increased interest costs on the existing debt will start to weigh on earnings. In the next two years, we believe that both earnings and dividends paid will actually drop. In 2022, the company earned and paid dividends of 30.5 cents a share. We expect that to drop to 28 cents per share in 2023 and 26.8 cents a share in 2024. And the other impact that the economic environment has on a company that has lots of assets is the value of those assets that they hold. And the assets that CLW holds are long-duration assets, which is demonstrated by the long lease terms that they have. Now, with long-duration assets, the level of interest rates has a significant impact on their valuations. We discount back future cash flows to value anything, shares, but also buildings. And when those cash flows go far out into the future, that discount rate really matters. A lower discount rate means those cash flows generated by the assets are worth more. If the discount rate is higher, those assets are worth less. And CLW has benefited significantly from ultra-low interest rates. But that, of course, is no longer the case. So that is another worry for CLW. But let's get into the specifics about how our analyst sees this company. We have a current fair value of $5.10. And with a fair value, we want to build in a margin of safety. In other words, we want to account for the natural risk that comes from being the owner of a business by building in a buffer. And the more inherent risk in a company, the bigger we want that margin of safety to be. Now, in the case of CLW, we believe there is only a medium risk for all the reasons we outlined. Long leases, triple net leases where the tenant is responsible for maintenance and repair, and good tenants all reduce risk. So given that CLW was trading at $4.33 on June 5th, we see it as a four-star share, which makes it undervalued in our eyes but right on the cusp of being a three-star stock, which we see as fairly valued. And many REIT investors are looking to generate income. And at the price of $4.33, it is trading for a dividend yield of 6.61%, which is high. But remember, there are no franking credits, and our analyst expects that dividend payment to go down in coming years. So today, we covered a specific security, but we also wanted to help investors to think about any company they are evaluating. Just remember to give some thought to the business that the company is in and the underlying factors in that industry that can lead to sustainable competitive advantages and the factors that will impact the fortunes of that business. All right. So that is our listener requested share deep dive. Hope everybody enjoyed it and learned a little bit about moats and about how to look at real estate. And thank you very much for listening. We would really appreciate any comments or ratings you give us in your podcast app. 
This episode of Investing Compass is brought to you by Milford. Milford's talented and globally experienced investment team aim to deliver strong, long-term returns while managing downside risks. They also invest in the same funds as their clients. Learn more and see the Milford Fund's product disclosure statements and target market determinations at milfordasset.com.au. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.